I couldn't see you down here. Everybody loosened up a little bit now? Relaxed? Visitors don't know what to make of me. That's okay. Ask somebody beside you from Redeemer to explain it. I'm glad you're here this morning. Come to the word of the Lord. There's a man named Howard Washington Thurman, and he was an African-American author, philosopher, theologian, educator, civil rights leader throughout much of the 20th century. He was also a mentor for key leaders in our country like Martin Luther King Jr. And so once someone who was very eager to use their life to make a difference in the world, to do something meaningful and valuable, they went and asked Thurman at some length what he believed needed to be done most in the world. And this was Thurman's answer. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I wholeheartedly agree with Thurman that what our world needs is people who have come alive because alive people change the world. So here's the good news for this morning. God has met this great need that the world has by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. So in case you had noticed, that's why we're here this morning. That's why we're celebrating his resurrection life, the reality of it. And we're celebrating as well that resurrection life that he gives to us. And we need to know this, that the resurrection life of Christ is a beautiful life. The question for you this morning to answer is this, are you alive in Christ? If you say yes, then ask yourself, how alive are you in Christ? Are you living in the fullness of the life that he has given to you? Are you bringing hope? Are you bringing change to the world by living in the fullness of that life? I'm going to put some facets of this beautiful life before us this morning with the hope that all of us here will long to have and know more and more of this beautiful life of Christ and change the world with it. So if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. For those of you who come regularly to Redeemer, don't get excited. (laughs) Uh, We're going back to chapter 4. We're going to work our way here, but for this morning, we're going to skip to chapter 28. So once you've found your place in Matthew 28, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we'll hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, 
See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word and for preserving it for us and for the truth that it contains, the truth of your resurrection, the truth of your life, the truth of the life that you give to us. And so, Father, now in these moments, by the power of your spirit, help us to see the beauty of that life, Help us to long for more of it. Help us, Lord, to be people who are alive to this world, alive with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So four beautiful facets of the life of Christ I want us to look at this morning. And the first is this. Because God is on our side... He really wants us to get it. He wants us to get it. When it comes to the things of the Lord Jesus Christ, God doesn't leave us on our own to speculate or to interpret or to imagine what he might mean. Look in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. So consider this Drama, the drama of this moment and how it engaged all the senses. A great earthquake. What does that sound like? What does it feel like? What did it look like? Appearance like lightning. What does that mean? What does it mean to look like lightning? Clothing, white as snow. How do you even begin to describe in human words the stuff of heaven? The the substance of it, the essence of those who have come from heaven, from the presence of God to earth. Whatever the appearance of that angel was, that these hardened soldiers, they quaked greatly, just like the earth quaked. They became like dead men. So let's extrapolate from that fact for just a minute to understand the importance of this moment. When you consider the death and the destruction that these men had seen and and likely inflicted as part of one of the most brutal armies in the world, how extreme must a sight have to be to, to cause you to be rendered paralyzed, immobile, unable to, to, to move, motionless, like a corpse. Look, that's how much God wants us to get it. That's how much he wants us to get it. It's as if God is saying, now that I have your attention. And because the angel has come from the Lord, he already knows why these women have come. They're looking for a crucified body. And since the angel has already rolled the stone away from the tomb, the women are going to be able to enter into that tomb and they will find it empty. Now, left on their own, their own imagination, their own interpretation... These women could have come up for lots of reasons why that tomb was empty. 
without ever hitting upon the real reason that Jesus was risen. And so the angel explains ahead of time to them what they are about to see. His body is not here for one reason and for one reason only, and that's because he has risen. Look, where Jesus is concerned, who he is and why he has come, God never leaves us to our own imagination or explanation or interpretation. Because if he did, you and I might miss the point. And because God is for us, because he wants us to get it, he does not want us to miss the point. Consider the birth of Jesus. An angel was there as well, right? He came to Joseph. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She'll bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. An angel appeared to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Don't miss the point. Jesus is Savior. At his baptism, God himself spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Don't miss the point. Jesus is also the Son of God. On the Monday before the Friday that Jesus will die on the cross, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name, and a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Don't miss the point. It's to the glory of God. It's by the plan of God that Jesus dies on the cross as the ultimate expression of God's love for his people, for you. Later, before Jesus ascends to heaven, an angel is going to be on hand to explain to the disciples what they are witnessing as they see Jesus lift up from the earth and disappear into the clouds. Convenient to have that on hand this morning. And so the angel says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Don't miss the point. Jesus is coming again. And so these truths about Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return. These are vital truths about Jesus that God does not want us to miss. And so he does not leave them to our own imagination or explanation or interpretation. Instead, he speaks to us with his own voice or through the voice of an angelic messenger. That's because God is on our side and he wants us to get it. We can have life in Jesus, and God doesn't want us to miss out on that life. Is that good news? That's a beautiful facet, isn't it? That's the first one. Let's move now to the second facet of this beautiful life in Christ. And that is that this resurrection life is more than we can expect or imagine. Matthew here is very careful to reveal the expectations of these women on that first Easter morning. Look in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. A tomb is what they expected to see. A cold, 
dark container of death. Death is what they came for. They did not expect more. But with God, we should always expect more. And you need to know that about the resurrection life of Christ. Ephesians 3.20 tells us he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think or imagine according to the power at work in us. His resurrection power at work in us. Now, some of us have vivid imaginations. Some of you have vivid imaginations. You think deeply about things. Our world is full right now uh, of things that someone born in 1963, which is when I was born. We can't begin to imagine that these things would ever be real. I guess someone imagined they would be real or we wouldn't have the Jetsons. But in 1962 and 1963, when the Jetsons aired, nobody believed that those things would actually ever come to pass. The point is, whatever we can imagine, however advanced we believe ourselves to be, when we bring about what we imagine, God has more. No matter what we accomplish, we are simply moving the plan of God along. I hope you believe that. In this high-tech world we live in, whatever we develop, whatever comes to pass, we're simply moving the plan of God along. The resurrection life of Jesus is more than we can ask or think or imagine, abundantly more. And since we can only ask for what we can imagine, we are limited. So were these women. They didn't expect to find a resurrected Jesus. They couldn't imagine it, even though Jesus had told them it would happen. So look what the angel says in verse 5. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, it's the time in our sermon for our Greek injection. (laughs) You ready? Roll up your sleeves. It's not going to hurt a bit. Not much. You are the toughest crowd I've encountered in a long time. You like watching me die up here, right? Roll up your sleeves. It's time for your Greek injection. The angel uses the perfect participle here for was crucified. And that means that it indicates a a continuing state. In other words, the angel knows that the women believe that Jesus continues to be crucified. And therefore, they expect to find his dead body. But the angel counters their expectations with God's reality. He is not here. Because he is not crucified, instead, he has been raised. The women didn't expect this. Clearly, the disciples didn't expect it either. Had anyone expected or imagined the resurrection, why did they flee when Jesus was arrested? Why did they hide away while he was being crucified? If they had expected or imagined the resurrection... Would not the crucifixion be their moment of greatest excitement? Would not it have been their moment of greatest triumph? Would they not have eagerly gathered at the foot of the cross and whispered to those around, just wait, just wait, just watch, keep watching. This is going to be amazing. You won't believe what he's going to do. But that's not what happened. Because they did not expect Jesus to come to life again. The message 
given to the angel by the Lord reminds them that they should have known. Verse 6, he is not here, he has risen as he said, and said, and said, and said. While Jesus was still with them, his friend, their friend, talking with them, he told them he would die and rise again. So the disciples and these women should have had different expectations, bigger expectations, based on what Jesus had revealed about himself. You know what? So should you, and so should I. It's the gift of resurrection life that Jesus gives to us. We get to, we get to believe in. We get to hope for extraordinary things because of who Jesus has revealed himself to be. We get to expect that change will come when change seems impossible. We get to believe that hope will come when everything looks hopeless. We get to believe that freedom can come when we only look at our lives and the lives of others and see bondage. These are the truly extraordinary things in this world that we can expect the Lord to work in us and be amazed how he works in the lives of others. The good news here is that neither the angel nor Jesus rebuke the women for their wrong expectation. Shame on you for not believing more. That's not what this is about. It's not about recrimination for they, what they have not done or not believed or not expected. It isn't about not hearing what Jesus had so clearly said and not understanding it. It's not what the moment is about. The moment is about changing right now. It's about living a life of expectation right now. It's about becoming people of hope in unexpected, unimaginable things that Jesus can do in us and through us with his life. It's about being changed right now in this moment and being used by God to bring about unexpected and unimagined changes in this world that so desperately needs hope and change. A beautiful facet of the life of Christ. Third facet of this resurrection life is that Christ gives us a new and a better normal. And that new normal is not the normal as culture defines it. The cultural norm for Jesus' day was that women were, well, how shall we say it? Women were not viewed as important as men, as knowledgeable as men, as valuable as men. The rights and privileges given to men were denied to women. In fact, Jewish men began their day with this prayer. You're not going to believe this. This is good. You're a Jewish man. You get up every morning. This is the first thing that you say as you come to the Lord in prayer. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not created me a woman. I'm serious. True story. Look it up. Such was the view of women. And think about it. These prayers were recited at the beginning of the day to orient your thinking for the day. And so part of your daily orientation was thanking God that you're not a woman. And since they're prayers, as you pray them, you believe that you are aligning your thinking with God's thinking. 
This wasn't limited to just Jewish men. From the 3rd century B.C., there's a little quip that's credited to Socrates. And he expresses gratitude for having been born a man and not a woman. So you get the idea, right? Women, are y'all doing okay? Somebody need to resuscitate you. All right. So along comes Jesus. And to whom does he give the privilege of being the first to see and hear of his resurrection? Who? Women. Along comes Jesus. And who does he first give the charge and the privilege of being the first to proclaim the good news of the risen Savior? Go and tell my brothers. Who? Women. Who would entrust a message of this importance to women? Jesus would. Now, I'm not trying to win points with you this morning by being politically correct, by jumping on the empower women bandwagon, because that bandwagon can lead in wrong places, right? Just as wrong as the bandwagon that got us here in the first place. That's not the point. The point is who Jesus is and what he is like and how he is beyond our cultural norms. Because our cultural norm, we can't understand how radical this moment was in Jesus' day, but let me tell you, it was radical. It wasn't culturally normal, but for God, it is normal. And so the life of Jesus requires us to view our culture in a radical way, to have a new normal. Our culture polarizes around all sorts of isms, racism, sexism, ageism, capitalism, socialism. Apparently, there are 234 different isms. Did you know that? Each representing a philosophical or political or moral doctrine or belief system. And you can usually find a political group leading the way in one of those isms. And if you were to go to the rally for one of those ism groups, you'd probably get all fired up about that ism. And you would leave thinking, there is nothing more important in this world than this ism. And you might leave that meeting condemning everybody who did not value that ism as the ism to end all isms, right? Let me tell you, Jesus is above all isms because he values equally everyone made in his image. None are excluded from the life that he gives. Jesus has always been this way. To whom did he give the job of announcing his birth? Shepherds, for goodness sake. Dirty, smelly shepherds who worked with dirty, smelly sheep. They weren't even allowed to worship in the temple because they were so unclean. Their character was so low, they weren't allowed to testify in court. People believed they were separated from God, but God didn't believe that. Who did he give the privilege of announcing that Jesus was born? Shepherds. It wasn't the world's normal for shepherds, but it was God's normal. And then look at verse 5. The angel tells the women to tell the disciples that Jesus will meet them in Galilee. And then look at 9, verse 9. After the women see Jesus and fall at his feet and worship him, Jesus says, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, that they'll see me there. So what's going on? Here, these verses that talk about the resurrection of Jesus mention Galilee. Two different times. Why the emphasis? In chapter 4, Matthew borrows the language of Isaiah to describe Galilee. And he describes it as a land of darkness. Galilee is a dark place. 
He describes it as the people who live there as dwelling in the shadow of death. But because of Jesus and because of his presence there and because of the miracles that he performed there, a great light has dawned. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Isn't it beautiful? This land of rejection has been blessed by God with acceptance. Wasn't the world's normal, but it was God's normal. The resurrection life of Jesus shakes us up. At least it should. Cuts across cultural norms. It allows us to look at our lives and the lives of others from his normal perspective. Seeing others as made in the image of God. That's how God views all people. Thankfully, the life of Jesus disorients the orientation of our normal lives for something so much better. It says it's free. You and I can be set free by the life of Christ to freely give to others what has so freely been given to us by Jesus. And here's the thing. It's got to happen in the midst of our normal lives. Remember that Galilee is the hometown for the disciples. It's where they owned their homes. It's where they worked. They were working when Jesus called them and said, hey, come and follow me. So maybe Jesus is communicating that they've got to be countercultural, not in a spectacular place, not in a foreign place like Uganda, but right at home. Normal, familiar life in Galilee has now got to be viewed through Christ's eyes. It's not like returning to your hometown for the weekend class reunion, right? You could be nice to everybody for a night or two. But a new normal means that you've got to dig into those messed up relationships that you had in school. You've got to look at those people differently. You've got to view them as Jesus viewed them, knowing that the new normal is loving all these people for Jesus' sake and with Jesus' resurrection life. The new normal means that we seek to see our world as Jesus sees it and act in our world as Jesus acted. Galilee, women, shepherds, remind us that no one is outside the reach of God. No one is beyond being acceptable. They remind us They're loved and accepted by Christ who allows them to come near. And they challenge us to love and come near to those made in the image of God. A beautiful facet about the life, the resurrection life of Christ. And now we come to the fourth and final facet. Can someone say amen? The fourth facet is this. That the resurrection life of Jesus does For us, what we cannot do for ourselves. What might we expect a gloriously resurrected Savior to say? How might we expect him to act toward those who betrayed him? Toward those who doubted him? Toward those who abandoned him? Toward those who denied him? Toward those who failed him? I can imagine what I would say in that moment because I've been failed by people, betrayed by people, not nearly to the extent that Jesus was. 
I bet you've been betrayed by someone in your life. Probably someone you never imagined would betray you. And I bet that you have imagined what you would say to them if you had the opportunity. Jesus could have used very different words here. He could have said, go tell those miserable betrayers I am risen. Go tell those fearful, fleeing failures that I am risen. Go tell those in whom I am woefully disappointed that I am risen. But Jesus doesn't say any of that, does he? Look in verse 10. He says, go and tell my brothers. Is that not amazing? My brothers. Still in the family. Jesus still calls them by the name that he called them before their great betrayal. Because Jesus is not shocked by their behavior. That's why Jesus can forgive their behavior. Because here's the deal. If humans could act differently than the disciples acted apart from the life of Christ within them, then Christ would not have had to come, would he? He would not have had to die on the cross if you and I were able to do it on our own. So for Jesus to rebuke or to recriminate the disciples here would be to suggest to them that apart from his resurrection power at work in him, them, they could have acted differently than they acted. If only they had tried harder. If only they had been more faithful. They could not have. Not without the resurrection power of Christ. And neither can you. Let me tell you, you cannot change yourself. Not in real ways. Not in meaningful ways. Not in ways that bring joy to you and to others. For that, you've got to have the resurrection life of Christ. And here's some good news. Ready for some good news? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Is that good news? Yeah. So the anger you feel, the frustration you feel, the discontent you feel, the worry, the meaninglessness you feel of going through the motions, the insignificance, all those things we feel, you can't change any of that. Not in a real and significant and lasting way, but Jesus can change it with his resurrection life. He's willing to make that change in you. He's just that good and just that loving. And that's why he died and rose again. And that's why we celebrate his life this morning. Through his life, the power of his spirit, we can change. We can become people of love. We can become people of joy and peace and patience. People of kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And gentleness and self-control. We can be those people, not through our own hard work, but through the power of Christ in us. And that's why the life of Christ is so beautiful in us. It's why it's a life that can make the world a beautiful place. So here's the thing. You need to come alive. You need to come alive. That's what the world needs. People who are alive. God has life for you in Jesus. Do you believe that? God's life for you in Jesus. It's more than you expect. That life gives you a beautiful, new, normal, cuts across all culture, accepting, forgiving. Jesus is the hope of the world. So you and I need to come alive. The world needs you to come alive. 
will you? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for these beautiful facets, these beautiful elements of your resurrection life. Thank you, Lord, so much that you want us to get it. Thank you, Lord, that you have not hidden yourself from us. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't left us on our own, lost in darkness, stumbling, trying to figure it out. You've plainly and clearly revealed to us your life by raising from the dead our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, you want us to get it. You want us to have life. So, Lord, for those who are here this morning who don't yet have life in you because they have never come to you asking for that life, repenting of their sin, being forgiven by you, experience newness of life. Lord, I pray that through the power of your spirit that would happen in this moment. Father in heaven, I'm no dummy. Some may disagree. After 25 years of preaching, I know the reality of next Sunday. This building will be half as full as it is right now in this moment. I pray, Lord, that for those people who may not return to this or any other church next week, that even in this moment, you will show them their need for life in Christ. Lord, reveal to them that worshiping you with your people once a year is not enough. Your life is so much more than that. It's an everyday life. So, Lord, open their eyes to see their need for you and your love for them. Lord, for those who know and love you, let us leave this place this morning as people who are convinced that you are the only hope for this world. And what this world needs is not for us to be angry with them and to go with them to all their ism meetings. What the world needs for us is for us to be alive in you. The world needs for us to live out of the resurrection power, the resurrection life that you have placed in us. Lord, that enables us through your power to do extraordinary things in this world that needs extraordinary help. So I pray that you would convince us of that and that we would be determined, not on our own effort, but by the power of your spirit, to be people who are alive to this world. For I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.